Why do we exist? Were we created with a purpose? Or are we just here by chance? What are we to believe about life, faith, and worldview? Welcome to The Universe Next Door, focusing on answers to the questions we all consider. The Universe Next Door is supported by the C.S. Lewis Society, Trinity College of Florida, and supported by gifts from listeners just like you. Discover more resources and continue the conversation at apologetics.org. And now, your host, the research professor of Bible and theology at Trinity College of Florida, author and speaker, Dr. Tom Woodward. Welcome to The Universe Next Door. I hope you're doing well and wherever you're listening from. I hope the weather uh, is as good as it is here in Clearwater, Florida, where we're broadcasting from. In fact, I think this is as close weather can be to perfect outside of heaven. I'm not sure if there is weather in heaven, but what do you think about this weather, Dr. Woodward? Phenomenal. Amazing. Shockingly wonderful. I guess those are a couple of descriptors that come to my mind. I mean, uh, I can tell you that Clearwater and the, the Tampa Bay and, and kind of central Florida is not known for mornings of 60 degrees when you get up in uh, the you know those early May mornings and mid-May mornings, and it's been like heaven, <laughs> I guess. Oh, absolutely. <laughs> for lack of a better term. So I know people who listen to us in the North may have been shivering under a little blanket of snow, and they're saying, really? snow in early May. Do we really have to have, you know, a reminder that we live in the north? But I'm glad you enjoyed <laughs> just a little, you know, kind of a sheet of snow. But we've uh, we've enjoyed a sheet of fresh weather. And it's been it's been just about perfection. But, you know, speaking of perfection, I think that we should talk about the, the relevance of God showing perfection and showing his handiwork, even to agnostics. Does that is that rivet your attention? Uh, Nick Shauna, when you hear uh, scientists who do not, don't even embrace the biblical worldview, who don't necessarily believe in God at all, and yet they're struck that Darwinian theory is falling apart. Yes, and there's so many incredible testimonies. Yes, it's amazing. So I thought with, uh, since you're, a, you see, you act as the uh, master of ceremonies, so may I submit to you, we discussed it a bit, but I <laughs> would like to recognize the 35th anniversary of the release of the bombshell of bombshells, the shocker of shockers, the most important breakthrough book that really opened up the discussion of whether or not Darwinian theory makes sense in light of the growing mountain of, of hostile data, of evidence that cannot be fit, cannot be harmonized with the Darwinian worldview at all. And, of course, the one I'm referring to, you and I have discussed him, We've actually, um, you know, talked about his work on maybe, I don't know, a dozen or more programs over the last 12 years. And I think that would be appropriate for us to see if we can maybe get him on for an interview. Wouldn't do, don't you think that would be fabulous? Michael Denton. Oh, yeah. That'd be so, awesome. Yeah, so I think I'll work on that. I think I'm so inspired I'm going to just hop in my computer, hold my computer, and see if he would join us for a broadcast. He has been living, of course, most of his life in either... Australia or New Zealand, the University of Otago. But Michael Denton, um, I'll just go ahead and launch into a bit of a story and recognize him as the monumental Gamaliel. In other words, he is like the uh, rabbi, the theological genius, who, although uh, not clued in fully and, and on board fully with Christ as the Messiah, but when he arose and spoke to his peers in Acts chapter 5, this Jewish leader 
really made it made a huge difference because the apostles could have been put to death, the majority or all of them. Uh, but he cautioned them. He slowed them down. He made them think. And he said, these disciples, these ones uh, preaching about the death and resurrection of Christ and that he was alive, you know, we know other people who claim to be something like a Messiah and their followers frittered away. They, they dispersed when the uh, the leader was killed. And these, if, there's, if this is not of God, you know, the, the, these these two will, you know, fade from relevance. But if you oppose them, and if what they say is true, and that's the key part of Gamaliel, he actually had opened up to the to the discussion in that uh, very hot meeting, the possibility that the Jewish leaders were wrong and that the disciples were right. What an amazing flash of open-mindedness and caution. And so Gamaliel um, slowed them down. They did not kill them. They just barely, merely, uh, sort of, you know, beat them uh, and sent them along their way. And the movement of Christianity had a, had a, another growth spurt. Well, we had a, a Gamaliel Michael Denton, as I mentioned already, and he was not one of us. He was not a follower of, Ju- of Judeo-Christian thought. He did not accept the Book of Genesis. As a matter of fact, he kind of like at the end of his book. Evolution, a theory, and crisis. He said that Genesis is irrelevant and has no role uh, in setting, as it were, the parameters of our discussion. But we do know, he says this at the end of his book, Evolution, a theory, and crisis. Again, is the name of it. You can still get copies through, you know, Amazon, used, maybe even new. But his newer book that came out just about three years ago, Evolution, still a theory and crisis, is a is a a, a hallmark key book in this discussion but uh, but what he said was after these um, you know 10 years of analysis that he had done and published finally in 1985 and so he said what we have learned is that Darwinian theory is neither more nor less than the great myth he called it the myth the cosmogenic myth which means creation myth of the 20th century and, of course, he wrote that just 15 years before the end of the century, in 1985. I myself was you know, raising support to go do collegiate university mission work in the Dominican Republic. And so when I got the book, actually, no, I'm sorry, uh, it was published in England in 85. but when I got the book, I was actually on that field. I was living in an apartment with my wife and kids in Santo Domingo. We were already doing that university ministry when I received my copy, and it shocked me. I'll never forget the opening of the pages of Michael Denton's book. Uh, I had never read anything even close to it in terms of power and thorough research of 15 lines of evidence. And to get to the end of that book where he says, Darwinian theory has clearly entered a Kuhnian paradigm crisis. Let me repeat that. Kuhnian, based on the work of Thomas Kuhn, K-U-H-N, who wrote the book that introduced the idea of science as progressing from one picture of reality to another picture of reality. These big, broad, conceptual pictures um, are described as paradigms. And, of course, we've been talking about paradigms ever since Kuhn wrote his book in 1961. Uh, So that was, you know... 20 years before Denton, and so the, uh, the Kuhn's book basically talked about uh, theories that do not go well and the theories that are troubled 
they keep bumping into hostile evidence. And the more evidence that accumulates that cannot be stuffed away in the closet, that cannot be hidden in the attic, and it spews out, it just gushes forth. And this hostile, this evidence that cannot be fit with the, with the dominant theory, that evidence eventually drives a paradigm shift. And so at the end of his book, he's basically quoting Kuhn and, uh, and referring directly to the idea of Darwinian as a fail that is a, uh, a paradigm. It's a, an explanatory system that's on life support. Now, just think of that. Nick, that was 35 years ago this month. Wow. So that's a, that's a generation. And you might even say it's almost two generations. And where are we now? The theory of Darwinian evolution, which reigned supreme from, let's say, the 1940s after they figured out how they could work genes and tweaking genes step by step through mutations, and they worked that mm -hmm. into their theory in the neo-Darwinian paradigm. That paradigm remained solid and virtually unquestioned for 25 years after that into the mid-60s. Mm -hmm. And so by the time that Michael Denton wrote his book, he was able to tell story upon story, line of fact upon line of data, and then wove in many of the hostile things that had come out against Darwinian theory from the molecular world, this new DNA and genetic and micro-machine world that had just come to view. But some of the arguments, the classic arguments that he brought out, I had never read before. And I'll forget, never forget the the underlining. I was underlining practically everything on several pages in a chapter in his book called Bridging the Gaps. And this chapter said, there are many, many structures in living things, like the lung of a bird, which cannot be explained by step, by tiny step evolution. The lung of a bird is completely structurally different from the lung of a reptile or a mammal. You know, we have, we're a mammal, so air goes in, and then air comes back out, the same pipe. Birds have an entirely different structure of lung. The air through a whole system of air sacs and valves and, and um, you know, in, internal organs, the air is actually shunted in a continuous loop. It never reverses direction. And so the air exchange doesn't happen in little sacs at the end of these branched, branching uh, forked um, tree-like structures in the lung. The air is actually forced through parallel branches called parabronchi. And then it comes back together, those parallel branches. The air never reverses. It's a circulatory um, system. It's a circulatory lung. And so when I discovered that, and he pointed out that no one has even attempted to, to explain how step by tiny step you could convert a reptilian lung, which is like ours, a completely different structure, into this unique avian or bird lung. And that was one of 54 examples he gave of basically theory crushers, theory stoppers, just in that one, it's called bridging the gaps. And he said, you cannot even, through thought experiments, come up through a step-by-step -step or develop a step-by-step -step story how this uh, change could have been brought about. So, oh, wow. and, I, and I remember the shock, the, the, the exhilaration, and so I basically 
as I was coming to start teaching at Trinity College, I had just been through a major Christian magazine, been allowed to put the information of Denton together with the work of Thaxton, the founder of Intelligent Design, who wrote this amazing book, Evolution, uh, rather, uh, The Mystery of Life's Origin. And so my own work was really fueled by Denton uh, when I wrote the article, the cover story of Moody Monthly, and that was back in September of 88. It's the month I started teaching at Trinity College. And, that's, and that article was called Doubts About Darwin. So I'm, I'm celebrating this moment, and um, just thought I'd let everybody know that if you check out our Facebook, there's a new entry there. We're talking about these Gamaliels, these figures who, while not being Christians or members of our community of faith, they say things and publicly announce things that really are helpful to us, uh, just like the Gamaliel in Acts 5, and not being a Christian, but said things very helpful to defend the potential truthfulness of part of the Christian worldview. So, um, I mean, I, I think that, Nick, you have some appreciation of the importance of of this uh, figure, still still living, still writing, still researching, Michael Denton. Have you been struck the same way? Yeah, I mean, and what I'm picturing is it's almost like if you think of a dynamite with a really, really long string while all of these uh, Darwinian ideas were going on, and finally there's just this giant explosion. And when you think about mm. what that explosion has brought about in terms of science, you think of Michael Behe and Stephen Meyer, the whole Discovery Institute and mm -hmm. Illustre Media, all these things that... Uh, some scientists still may ignore or not truthfully examine the evidence, but mm. I mean it's just undeniable. In fact, there's a book called Undeniable. I think I think that's Douglas <laughs> yeah. Sachs, but but yeah. it really is. It's just this explosion. Talk about shockwave that's still extending, and it, it's almost like some of these books are just the teleological arguments we would use, but on steroids. Yes. No. I I totally one billion percent agree with you, and I think that we're living through revolutionary times. I mean. <clears throat> maybe 15 years ago, when uh, I followed up my book, Doubts About Darwin, with the sequels, Darwin Strikes Back. And, of course, Darwin Strikes Back was uh, just a working title, and they were going to rename it something else. And then Baker Books said, well, we got together, and we felt that your original idea, Darwin Strikes Back, is, is good. <laughs> we're going to stay with that. I was shocked. <laughs> I said, well, as long as you keep wow. the subtitle defending the science of intelligent design, just keep that in mind. Mm -hmm. They said, oh, yeah, yeah, we, we agree totally. Because um, <clears throat> some of my colleagues, uh, Princeton classmates, are thinking, like, no, so you're with us, right? Now you changed your mind, you know, because Darwin is striking back. I said, I said this is more like, you know, the Empire Strikes Back against the Jedi Knights. It's just telling yeah. part of the story. <laughs> Anyway, so but, but what I what I'm trying to say is that um, we're seeing now in this anniversary moment another yet another reflecting on <clears throat> a gift to the cause of truth, a wonderful open-minded scientist who did not hesitate against the teeth of great opposition. There was tremendous opposition and uh, pushback and. He paid the price. I mean, he's paid the price for 30, 35 years, but he was bold enough <clears throat> to come back and do a second book entitled Evolution, Still a Theory in Crisis. And uh, so, Nick, I don't know if we have enough time, I could just go into a teeny bit about that book. Oh, yeah, we have about eight, nine minutes. Okay, very good. So, so um, buckle your seatbelts. Um, the the book that is the sequel, it's like a rewritten 
uh, it's about half of uh, roughly 50% new material. But Michael Denton, when just a few years ago, he said, I'm just going to update this book. And so he brings out not only one or two new examples, he literally crowds the book with additional examples of structures, features, design motifs in nature that are unique, unchanging, and cannot be approached by any step-by-tiny-step story. And so they're almost like, you know, know, he comes up with his new uh, kind of explanatory idea, which I'm not really fond of. So while trashing Darwinism or neo-Darwinism completely, I mean, it's, there's not a speck. There's, there's virtually not an atom of the theory left when, he's, when he gets through with it. But he comes up with this kind of structuralist view uh, going back to the great 1800s, early to mid-1800s, uh, scientist Owen, O-W-E-N, a very famous British scientist, kind of a, one of the modern uh, Aristotles of biology. And he sort of camps on Owen's idea, and I have no really idea whether Owen knew uh, God personally and knew Christ uh, as Lord and Savior. But uh, I, I have the idea Owen was just had his own ideas. But Michael Denton uh, completely fries and fillets and <laughs> dimes on Darwinian evolution. There's nothing left of it. But then he says, well, maybe these structures are just built in the fabric of nature. And so they just manifest their features of nature. And, the, and he hints that there may be a God behind them. So it's almost like he is edging away from his former evolutionary, excuse me, his, his former agnostic view. He never was, uh, never was a fan, never was a, at all convinced of any kind of evolutionary development. But it's almost like he's taking in this new book, and I just thought I would explain this so that people are not surprised if they get a hold of his newer book, Evolution, Still a Theory in Crisis, because he takes the view that these features that we see that could not be developed step by tiny step, that maybe nature is built, and he says kind of hint, 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 there may be a God here. So I think he's like opening the door a crack to the divine design, but he says that these uh, these structures in nature maybe could just, uh, nature leaps and there's nature is built in with a spring mechanism that just leaps across these gaps and instantiates or, or produces the new form without a incremental step by tiny step. So it's almost like saying, oh, I can't get from here to Tokyo step by tiny step, but maybe I can leap there through some kind of uh, beaming device. You know, like Star Trek, Scotty, beam me up. So mm-hmm. so it's almost like animals are suddenly beamed up. It sounds a little bit like almost like Stephen Jay Gould's jumping or saltation, the jump from one form to another. And so I actually wrote in the margins of my book, okay, I'm with you in your critique, Michael Denton, here, and this is just like three years ago. I'm yeah. with you in your critique. Your critique is, is ten times stronger than it was in 1985, but... How does nature on its own leap to these structures, which requires new genes, new input of digit-by-digit genes, and each digit um, amassing, totaling uh, somewhere in the neighborhood of thousands to tens of thousands? I mean, if I were to analyze the digital files on my hard drive, 
that I use to just write. Um, we just memorialized this moment in time when Denton wrote his book by putting a new Facebook entry. And so everybody should go to our C.S. Lewis Society Facebook page and see all these. We're up to about a dozen now that we've had up going every two or three or four days since April 1st. But the Denton entry, our newest entry, is something to me where we're memorializing a true Gamaliel. He's still a Gamaliel. He's still not with us. Um, he's an agnostic uh, turning maybe into a deist. I don't know where he is. But his, um, his critique is stronger than ever. I mean, Darwinian evolution was torn to pieces. Now those pieces are ground into nothingness. Because he's, he, he divine, discerns in nature hundreds, and he says there may be a hundred thousand design features. He estimates there are a hundred thousand design features. And of those, zero of them, not a single one, can be explained by a Darwinian step-by-step incremental process. So his wow. critique, so his critique is, is, is almost like the former book on steroids. It's like the former book with a billion turbo boosts added to it. But because he hesitates to just accept what is pretty obvious to me, that a painting on a wall that is a brilliant, glorious painting, which shows every, through every brushstroke genius, it did not just happen by an explosion in a print sh- in a in a paint shop down the street. You know, there's no way that you can just leap upward like Michael Denton seems to be having this odd explanatory you know competitor to Darwinism. So while I I, I salute his critique stronger than ever, I hesitate overwhelmingly to go down for the structuralist view that he's proposing. So um, and this is so new. I would say, Nick, maybe um, I haven't even had a chance to share that much with you, but I think you would find this fascinating as well, right? Oh, yeah. I haven't read this book yet, but it's definitely intriguing. Yes. So the newer book, again, I, I, I applaud its critique. I uh, do not endorse his structuralist view where he seems that you know, new structures, new forms, new organs just leap into existence. And I, I just say... I mean, the leap entails all kinds of input of digital information. And where is this, and this digital information that is coming in has to come from somewhere. Where does it come from? Well, the solution of that, I think, is really in the book that Michael Denton uh, does, I think, reference from time to time. But it's a newer book from William Dembski called Being as Communion. And this book came out about the same time that Michael Denton's uh, revised book, Evolution, Still a Theory of Crisis, came out. Being as, a, as Communion says, and William Dembski really kind of summarizes it brilliantly, that the ultimate stuff of the universe is not matter or energy. It is something that is called information. So his treatment of um, the, the reality in biology, the reality in our world around us, is that something called information, the digital information in DNA, cannot arise, cannot arise from matter. It arises from something deep, something above, really transcendent. And that deep transcendent reality we call logos, the word, the mastermind, the intelligence, the one who put together the universe and planned that we would be a part of it, loved us into existence, and who seeks to love us into his own family because that word became flesh. 
And the word that became flesh died in our place, literally ground to the to the bottom of the ocean uh, in terms of metaphysics, and yet came up, came up holding the dripping precious thing, the, the pearl of our salvation that he went dove down to get. And he offers it as a free gift to anyone who comes to Christ. Well, I hope we've all uh, considered the, this great offer and we've embraced it. Thank you so much for listening to this update on Michael Denton, the modern Gamaliel, who blew this whole theory out of the water. See us next week on the You've been listening to The Universe Next Door with Dr. Tom Woodward, sponsored by the C.S. Lewis Society and Trinity College of Florida and supported through the gifts of listeners just like you. To gather resources, continue the conversation, and support The Universe Next Door with your financial gifts, go to apologetics.org. That's apologetics.org. And join us again next time as we continue to seek the truth about life, faith, and worldview in The Universe Next Door.